Hello and welcome to episode 72 of Just Keep Writing. A podcast for writers. Bye, writers. To keep you writing. I'm Marshall. I'm Mick. I'm Brent. And I'm Will. All right. And with us this week is LP Kindred. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being here. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you guys doing? Oh, we're stoked. Stoked to have you. That's weird, but thank you. No, what? No, it's not weird because LP is a great, amazing writer and he is going to take the industry by storm. Just you watch. Thank you. <laughs> well, this is the first I've met you and I, I'm stoked to have you here. Uh, these guys have said wonderful things, so I'm excited. So uh, welcome. I'm going to pass it over to Will. He's going to start our line of questioning. So you're up, buddy. The grill. LP, um, I don't know if you've listened <laughs> to the episode before, but we usually start off with these three words, but I'm going to actually change it a little bit for you. I want you to describe your career in three words to your younger self who might not have believed it could happen. Uh, okay. Um, uh, fiction. <laughs> what? And... Um, Fast. So let's unpack those three words and let's describe them. So fiction. Why'd you choose that one? Six years ago, I was setting, uh, I was still in the middle of like a recording career, like as a musician. Um, and then I had a vocal injury that took me out and I was a very horrible person while not making art. And so then I moved toward fiction because I'd done some writing like in college and stuff, um, but like never actually tried um, and so the idea of seven years ago writing fiction as opposed to making music, I was surprised. Young me would be very surprised. And what? Use that as a description. Unpack that. That's still the surprise. It's still the surprise. But it's a brief surprise for fast. So let's move to fast. <laughs> okay. So fast. Let's describe that. Why did you use that word? Um, like I, I did a couple of NaNoWriMo's in, in an effort to write some novels, uh, which, uh, didn't work out because, you know, going from not writing things for years to trying to write novels was not the smartest move on most people's plates. Uh, and so, um, when I started working on short fiction, um, the, the distance between me submitting my first story and like my career actually starting to happen was very short. And it's 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 uh, a weird, like, not common thing, but everything moved really fast. <clears throat> so with you, like, how would you describe your um, musicality and then your writing? Because just in uh, the works that I've read so far, um, I didn't know you had a musical background, but it makes sense because the first thing that I thought of reading your work is that there's this musicality there's this rhythm in the words that you choose so how do the two connect and um how does one influence the other for you yeah i mean i have to acknowledge that like years of writing songs has probably influenced like the way in which i compose prose um and like uh being you know my grandmother's grandchild influences the way that I put sentences together because she was weird. Um, but like music is like kind of how for a really long time was the way that I interpreted the world. 
I'm ADHD. And so like, I, it takes me a while to parse things and like figure out like how I'm experiencing them. But music, it was always this thing that I could kind of lock into really, really quickly and also like communicate quickly. And so I think that's part of how, how it works in my prose as well. So now why speculative science fiction fantasy? What drew you to that type of genre? 100% comic books. Um, I learned to read by reading comic books. I got through science up through seventh grade because of comic books. Like when I think, when, and when I would think about like, you know, what I wanted to read, it was never like, oh, when we got to high school and like the ADHD got really like challenging, uh, you know, that was the point at which we were reading things like Shakespeare, which didn't make any sense to me because it has nothing to do with my life. Like it's a, it's a classic technically, but like, it's not, um, it's not relevant. It didn't, it didn't, uh, it's, it's relevant to academia, but it's not relevant to any, to any of us who were reading it in this inner city high school in Chicago. So, um, it was really hard to latch on to any of that. Uh, but then junior year, I had an instructor who the entire curriculum was speculative. Every book we read was speculative. Uh, there were a lot of diverse authors and like, it was a little easier to latch on there, but like it just, nothing else really made sense to me. So <clears throat> speaking of that and like in your formative years, not having so much to latch on, can you tell me about when you finally felt like you connected to the story or that you saw yourself and uh, what it was? And then also like, how did it kind of open your mind to the possibility? Um, I'd seen little things along the way. Um, uh, I really loved um, Hero by Perry Moore, um, which, um, you know, even reading it at the time, you know, there were some problems with, with it story-wise, but, like, I'd never seen myself reflected as a gay person that deeply in anything. Uh, but the one that was probably the most pivotal was uh, the Broken Earth trilogy by uh, N.K. Jemison, um, because... Everything that happens in that story is heartbreaking. <laughs> like everything is like you feel for this person that you shouldn't feel for. You know, the author intended to create an unlikable protagonist and she did, but she made you feel for her. And like, whether you liked her or not, you were rooting for her. And um, this world was so vivid and it was so um multicultural there were very black people and there were very white people and very asian people and like i learned so many words while reading it it was it, it really just like knocked me out uh, crying while reading it in public just the whole thing can, can i can i throw something out real quick yeah go ahead i'm a little i'm i gotta say i'm pretty jealous of your high school experience in that you got to listen you got actually to read speculative fiction that's something that was never I had to find on my own. Um, and I love the influence of comic books um, in your desire to um, to write and that kind of thing. So I'm just curious what titles you read in high school, like that maybe you thought of that stood out to you or comics that in particular kind of spoke to you. So keep in mind that as a child, um, I started reading comic books. My cousin actually uh, donated his entire collection to me. Uh, which was great. Oh. And then I went to boarding school and sold it because I'm an idiot. Anyway. Oh, no. But, like, the two that, like, hit me hardest were X-Men and Teen Titans. Uh, and Teen That's... Titans from the 80s is a different situation from any other comic book that was going on. These super adult themes um, mm -hmm. that were happening in that sector of comic books did not match the rest of the DC universe. Um, and then X-Men, just, like, 
there's so many parallels. And then as, as time goes on, the X-Men gets like, um, oriented toward, you know, started out oriented toward like socialism and then later on, like the civil rights movement and then later on mm-hmm. uh, the gay rights movement. And then, you know, so it, it, it remains relevant. And, uh, as they just like develop more and more characters, there are just more and more ways to see ourselves reflected. And so, yeah. Yeah. Nice. No, I, like I said, I, I never got to read um, any speculative fiction in high school. And as a teacher now, I've tried to introduce this as much as I can because I know kids don't want to sit and read The Great Gatsby or Shakespeare or whatever that is. And so I'm trying to kind of meet them where they are considering what we have in pop culture and stuff. So I just wanted to throw it out there before uh, Will gets on to his next question. So I'm glad in you brought that up. junior year, it was an entire, like the, everything we read, every book. If you want a list I don't have the whole list, but I can write down like six <laughs> or seven of them. And it was, it, it, at the time, I didn't understand it because I'd come off of like reading The Great Gatsby and The tra- Training, Taming of the Shrew and mm-hmm. Uptown, uh, uh, The Jungle by Upton Sinclair. And like, even if, though that was set in Chicago, it just still, I didn't care. Um, yeah. and so it would be years later when I realized, oh, he was actually doing a thing. Damn, mm-hmm. I wish I had tried. Because at that point, I'd already like checked out. Right. <laughs> All right, well, back to you. <laughs> oh, it's fine. <clears throat> um, what, out of the X-Men and uh, the new Teen Titans, were there certain characters you were drawn to? Like, what synced you? Yeah. As far as that being a fan favorite. In the Wolfman Perez era, um, there were several. Um, Starfire was an alien who lived her life to the fullest. And, like despite the being enslaved and trafficked and like torn away from her family, she still found a way to live her life to the fullest. Uh, and she lived and loved passionately. And that was something that I, I resonated with. Jericho was a deaf character that they coded as gay. Um, and also the child of one of the Titans, like biggest villains, um, which um, I, I love this idea that, one of the things that shows up a lot in my work is um, exploring belonging in the context of like culture and community and like cuisine and citizenship and social contract. And so what it's like to be like the child of the enemy and be a part of the, the whole, you know, um, I think things like that are super interesting. Um, you don't get that as much in the X-Men because uh, you, you do get that in the, in the X-Men because uh the X-Men using the gay analogy, you have a culture of people who are put together by something they have no control over that their parents aren't necessarily, that they didn't inher- inherit, you know, genetically, uh, or they did inherit it genetically, but it doesn't, Never mind. Anyway, so two people without powers could become, could have children and, and have children with powers. And so the only thing that bound them were these things. And like, despite that, they still had like racial prejudices and uh, class prejudices and uh, uh, educational prejudices. So like you still got like this interesting hodgepodge of people who were in whatever situation or hurled out of their experience into needing to do something. So like in that case, it's like Cecilia Reyes is a perfect one. Oh, she was very busy being a doctor. Yeah. She just wanted a normal life. She was like, I'm just working in the ER. Why are y'all trying to hunt me down and kill me? She was so good. She was ready. She was fine. She yeah. was, she was like, I have a normal life. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I remember Xavier even saying he was like, she is the best example of what the dream should look like. A mutant who can just have a normal life and it not be anything. And I guess this goes to the queer thing, right? Like you could just be that person and have a normal life. And it's not some red A that you're walking around with your whole life. Right. And then what happens to her? Freaking Sentinels come and try to kill her. Omega Sentinels at that. Rude. Yeah. Yeah. Just rude. <laughs> Sorry, two X-Men fans talking here. Like, as soon as you said Siri, I was like, ah! <laughs> so in your own work, what did you feel like when you sit down to write, did you feel like you had some things that you wanted to say or bring to the table or does it just come out of you? Like, are you just sitting down to write and then certain themes and um, character relationships just happen in the page? I mean, so I'm definitely in the discovery or panther group more than anything else. Um, I do spend some time thinking about like what motivates me to write a story, like just a wool gathering session and like, writing on an index card, all the things that like come together, like that will build a thing. But when, when that happens, I just kind of sit down and write. Um, my, my, my aesthetic, if you will, is just informed by what, what interests me. It's just the belonging aspect. And there's so many ways to play with who belongs and who doesn't and why, and how do you belong, but still look askew or how are you askew and, and, st- and don't belong, you know? Um, or how does it look right, but still don't belong. Um, so I don't go into it with anything, but the, when I look back through the stories that I enjoyed, um, enjoy as a reader, as a consumer, I'm like, those are the ones that like really speak to me. So if we talk about the Broken Earth trilogy again, you know, there are these incredibly powerful, this isn't a spoiler warning. This is really easily found in the first 10 pages. Um, there are really powerful people who manipulate seismic and geothermic energy and uh, which is great on uh, a continent that is prone to geothermic upheaval, except that everyone is afraid of them and is likely to kill them if they're caught. And so these people who do this really great work for everybody are an endangered species, so to speak, but they also have these abilities that are not inherited from their parents. And, you know, this strong likelihood that their parents will get rid of them or turn them over to the mob. Um, that wants to essentially lynch them. So it's like, that's interesting. I think that's super interesting. Let's go to um, your story, Open 27 Hours, which was on Speculative City and now will also be featured uh, on Escape Pod for Black Future Month. Can you talk about, you know, what inspired you to write that story? Like what was the kernel that kind of made it explode and for you to start writing it? So I'm learning now that it's not the kernel. It's the, the bag of kernels. It's the kernels at the bottom of the popcorn. Once you've eaten everything that like I find things that go together. So one, when I was a kid, my mom took me to this like historical black restaurant called Gladys's on the South side of Chicago. And uh, Miss Gladys would walk around during service and just wave to everybody. And like, she'd see like generations of children there. And on all the walls, there were um, pictures of like black, um, entertainment royalty as well as like uh, uh, leaders from the civil rights movement because they'd all eaten there. Um, the prompt I was given in a class a couple of years ago was write about a memorable meal. 
and then I was walking down the street with my friend Aaron, and there's this uh, in Los Angeles. There's this diner that does not serve food because it only exists as like a place to um to film. It's called Johnny's. Uh, and I looked up and misread the sign. It said open 27 hours. And I was like, okay, this is the story. Um, and I started writing with just those things, which is, which is usually how it works for me. But like, as I wrote, it came, became clear that it was a story about like remembering and loss and trying to get back and obviously food. I love food. Nick, you had a question? Hey, yeah, I, yeah, I, I got a couple questions. Um, to be honest with you here, one, I wanted to ask you um, about intersectionality in your writing because uh, it kind of seemed from just from talking with X Men that was an important part of what you pulled out of that. Um, and, and in this story that you know that we've read, where where do you see the intersectionality from the X Men and your love of that? Um, come into this story. Yeah. Is there a ton of intersectionality? So I think I think one of the things that happens in this story is that you see a group of Black people who have very different experiences of being Black, and they're existing in the same space without strife. Um, and I always think that that is interesting because, you know, no group is a monolith. You can't get, you know, 30 people in a room who share the same heritage or culture, et cetera, et cetera, and then like expect for everyone to get along. And you know, it, 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 it happens in the story. Um, is the story about intersectionality uh, like at its core? Not necessarily. Um, it's a quiet story, um, which I like a lot. Um, having said that last year when, um, Dave Ring, the publisher at Neon Hemlock, and Charles Pesser, the um, the man who runs uh, Quick Sip Reviews, said that they were partnering to do the We're Here anthology in like I think it was like October, which is like best queer SFF. I was so angry because I didn't have anything queer coming out. I didn't have anything queer that was out, and I was just like, oh. Hell no, nah, I'm going to be in this anthology as soon as I possibly can. And so I've pointed like everything that I've worked on since into like making sure that there was some kind of faggotry going on. <laughs> Look, I just got that. I just went to the mail and that anthology was in my mailbox. So I feel you because I was pissed too. I was like, <laughs> I, I was like, I want to be in that. And what makes me mad is like now it makes me wish that Beneath Lisa Sky story I had just come out. I was like, why didn't I make that shit gay? Like, God dang it. I could have like... <laughs> it would have been so easy. It would have been so easy. So now I'm, now I'm even more mad at myself. So I have a similar goal. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. awesome. bring, me, bring me black faggotry, Brent, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love how you talked about, you know, that there is intersectionality in this story and that it's there's different lived experiences. I think that's really important um, for people like me to understand that. Um, and one thing I, and I've talked, we've talked with Brent about this before a lot too. And one thing I noticed um, it, in this is it, it's a story and you didn't have to go into the pain of being black. Um, mm. And you told a really great story from that. There is pain in there. And I just want to say, I, I really appreciated that. Um, side of it, I, you know, I talked about it with Brent a lot, or Brent's like, I just want to write about dragons. I don't want to write about my pain. And so right. I want to highlight this story more because of that. 
and just the the genius that you have behind it. Um, another question I have for you too is your pacing. Um, I noticed you did really really good job at pacing the parts that didn't matter, where they sat down, they ordered you know dinner, the lobster tail was like dried um, and things like that, and then all of a sudden it was the next like sentence we were in a different scene. And it was so seamless, I didn't catch it at first. Can you kind of talk to your, your pacing technique on that and, like, how you transition between scenes in a short story and do it so effectively? No. <laughs> I don't know how I do that. I got the first no. <laughs> <laughs> like, like when I was when I was studying, they're like uh, people would be like, "Oh, I want to go study with this really amazing singer." And I was like, "Okay, great." But then what what you find out when you study with them is that like they don't know how they do the things that they do well. <laughs> so it's like, uh, thank you for the pacing compliment. Um, I, I I think I think a big part of it is just like like you said, what doesn't matter. You don't spend a lot of time on it, but I also think that between like pithy description and like um, unique dialogue between the two of those, like those are the two ways that you can kind of keep doing head feints left to right, left to right to left to right. And like not keep someone mired in the things. I, I don't think that I have the, the capacity to edit um, the swaths of description that happen in, in, in epic fantasy, like Tolkien. But, um, you know, I can ping pong back and forth between like, oh, this is what's happening. This is what I noticed about it. Something's different in this room. And like, wait, what did you say? Um, and I think keeping the surprise in the dialogue and the surprise in the space live are two things that I, I try for. No, I love all that. So, I mean, yeah, you definitely have a superpower um, in that aspect. So in case you didn't know, right? <laughs> There's this line in the story. It says, more than that, I'm bothered by not remembering more than Miss Birdie's stature, her grace. Her image came to me so easily after reading her name once. How could I have forgotten for so long something that feels so tangible, visceral now? That line really, um, because, you know, as a reader, you bring something with you and it makes you wonder, you know, what was the writer thinking at that moment? So for me, a lot of times when I read something like that, it's like either seeing someone who has been long dead or um, who has a friend that you haven't seen so long and noticing these little qualities and the, the beauty of them and you wonder why they're not here. So can you um, talk to me about that one line? Because I thought it was really beautifully stated. And um, was it something you... Uh, remember writing or is it again just something you're like no i just did it i'm just that good <laughs> i never say i just did it i'm that good hold on uh hey, we'll no, I, <laughs> thank you again uh uh it, it's really hard to get me speechless um normally so that was a late revision edition because um I'd gotten to the end, like I wrote this in the same kind of like span that I wrote Your Rover Is Here. So like, um, 
I got to the end of the story, and for context, Your Over the, is here is the first story that I finished and submitted and like did something. Um, like, yeah. So this is the second story I submitted. It did a nice little rejection tour. I, I was a fan of that. Um, but it was a late stage revision because I had to figure out how to end the story in a way that was impactful. Um, and so as it was, it would have been like, oh, they went to the restaurant, she had the food, and then they left. And so I was like, okay, cool. Um, and then um, one of the things that I do, try to do in all of my stories is I try to bring in a part of myself. And so like the, the Yanis character is, Yanis is my sister's middle name. And, uh, and so reading her name repeatedly, I was like, I need to bring in my mom who passed when I was 17. So that's when I went to the beginning and put in, it was the last meal that I had with my mom. That's when I put in, um, uh, no, I didn't do those things first. The first thing that I did was wrote the last scene where, where Yanis sees her mother in the booth. Spoiler warnings. Sorry. Uh, Yanis <laughs> sees her mother, uh, in the booth with her. Um, and then I had to go back and put in some of these, these, uh, these, uh, these nuggets. Like I needed to make a trail to it so that it would make a little more sense. Um, and so when talking about Miss Birdie, I think about how, like, sometimes I don't remember my mom, not sometimes, I don't remember what my mom sounded like. And like, how do you forget your mom's voice? I don't know, man, like 20 years can do it. Um, and so I wanted to like, and I think at that point I'd had a conversation with my sister about not remembering her voice. And so I wanted to express that, that sense of like, and I hadn't thought about Miss Gladys, who Miss Birdie is obviously based off of, um, in a long time. But, you know, when I was doing a little research for the thing, I was like, oh man, I do remember that old lady. And they would like help her walk around the, the, the restaurant and she was infirmed, but she, this was her jam. This is what she did. This is who she was. And it was, it was in every step of the way. And so I was like, it's, and then it becomes like, oh, I, it's funny how the things we forget are the things we forget, but all you have to do is be reminded of a little bit of it and it can change, change the entire memory. It can bring the whole thing back. Mm. So I want to read another line. Um, Miss Birdie looks as angelic as she did when I saw her as a child. More so now because I see the white feathered wings that flow up from her back, bending down to brush her triceps and calves. They just follow her like a shadow as she carries three dishes to our table. This, um, again, Miss Birdie, this is so visceral to me. It really paints the picture. But what I loved what you did with this um, section is then it was like, you had such a beautiful description and then she's carrying three dishes to our table, something really mundane and that, um, that you would see. It, it was just a really interesting joining. And when you were thinking about Miss Birdie, did you automatically see her um, with feathered wings that flow up from her back? Was it automatically that you got this visceral image or did it take time to build up to that? Um, so that particular image came with revisions because the initial intent was like the story for a good chunk of the beginning is, is could be literary. Um, and so then it got to a point where I just had to make it weird and, uh, I had to keep throwing weird shit in to, to 
kind of like <laughs> bring it into the genre. And then through revisions, I kind of like smoothed it out quite a bit. But the holding plates part, I wait tables. I work in a steakhouse. So like, just like the idea, and I work with a lot of really amazing people who do all kinds of things outside of work. And so an amazing person walking to a table with three dishes isn't anything that's new to me. So it was like, okay, cool. So let's put this, let's put this, this, this image that I have of my friend Orphalina onto an angel walking to her own restaurant and like dropping off dishes for people. So, so on that note, uh, talking about the build up to the weird shit, um, I've, I've also waited tables for a very, very long time. And I totally felt um, the main characters like, we don't even have water. What the fuck's going on here? My favorite, one of my favorite exchanges in, cause when I go to, when I go to restaurants now, I'm just like, I, I tip heavily pretty much no matter what, unless you totally blow it or you're rude and are disrespectful. But at the same time, it's like, there are certain things that you expect, right? For me, it's like, if you ask me if I want something to drink and you come and say hi right away, you're probably good. Right. But mm-hmm. one of my favorite exchanges in this in this story was the conversation about whether or not she was going to review the restaurant. And I just thought that was really and you talked about pithy dialogue earlier. And I'm just like, that exchange goes on a, for a little bit. And it's like, it's super important that not only is it not explained, but also that that review, the uh knowing that review isn't going to happen. I just, I, I kind of want to know kind of where the, that conversation comes from because I, I just absolutely love that section. That was spitball. That was one of those things where I'm like, okay, something has to happen. You have to have a conflict. One person wants a thing. One person wants them not to have a thing. And so they, they kind of go back and forth with it. Um, obviously it was, it's, it's, it's been, you know, the nest it's been <laughs> made to work. Uh, but like I wanted, you know, this character has been looking for this thing that she has wanted her entire life. She can't remember where she had it. She it essentially launched her food career and like she couldn't find it anywhere. So she goes to the place where she had it for the first time. Of course, the thing she wants to do is review this place. She wants to eat this thing. She wants to review this place. Um, and I needed Citrine to, to act as the heavy in a lot of ways um, uh, against it. Cause it's like, you know, I'm, I'm essentially, you know, uh, giving you a passport. I'm, I'm bringing you into this place, this sacred space, and I need you to treat it as sacred. And, um, and at the point that that conversation's had, um, shit hasn't gotten weird yet. So, so Yanis isn't able to see that it's a sacred space. She doesn't get it yet. Um, but you know, she and then the water it. appears, which I thought was amazing. I just thought yeah, the transition between the two, I was like, oh, it's getting weird. I love this shit. <laughs> Sorry, I cut you off. <laughs> Nick, go ahead. Jump in. Ty, there's just a, a lag. I want to make sure I didn't cut you off, Will. Um, I want to talk about the dishes uh, that you kind of bring into this, right? Um, and one of them being in Citrine who had frog legs and cheese grits. And she talks about how, like, she doesn't get it. It's not common where she's from. And we totally, like, as a reader, get bypassed into this. She's not from here, but she is here. And she just loves, you know, cheese grits and frog legs. What What's kind of the inspiration behind, you know, her dish selection specifically? Is there any significant importance to you on that? And then with, you know, the, and I'm going to pronounce it wrong, but the Nabaka. 
what is that inspired from as well? Because that I feel like that's something I want to eat. Because you talked about the beginning, <laughs> my wife's Hispanic. You talk about spices and flavors. I was like, okay, I gotta have it. What is this from? <laughs> so with with Citrine's meal, I really wanted her to have something mundane to express that like this is not an everyday thing. I wanted it to be something. Like when I think about Frog's legs, I think about Louisiana and I think about France. You know, I think about these things that are like really well appointed. But then when I think about grits or cheese grits, I think about a like entirely like I don't want to say black American experience, but definitely a southern experience that includes black people. Um and so I just wanted her to I wanted to, I wanted that convers that particular nugget to say, I'm not from here and and these very normal things are very like this is what I want, you know. Um, the Nabago, um, you know, I made it up before I decided what it was. And obviously, like, over time, I crafted that first paragraph with the description of the food. Um, and uh, my instructor at the time was like, you have to tell us what it is. <laughs> but do I really? Um, and so... If that's the conversation, I was like, all right, cool. Well, like, it has to be something exotic. It has to be something interesting, blah, blah, blah. And so it made perfect sense for me in trying to find a place to put it in. Because one of the struggles I have sometimes is, like, when I go back and revise things, sometimes I have a hard time remembering, like, figuring out how to get the voice back for a piece, which is making my short story collection really challenging. But uh, but um, what I was able to do was put the explanation of Nabobgo in the mom's mouth at the end of the story so that it wasn't um, so there wasn't a random information dump about like what is Nabobka how did I come up with black hole compressed space well I don't I don't know (laughs) I don't know I I love everything about it though right and you know going back through that first description you know your opening paragraph you don't describe the texture of the whale and so I found I find that interesting at the end where, you know, oh, it's a castle of some sort. Right. And then at the end, like it's space well, which I feel like would have something very specific in the memory of her having it. Um, is that is that done on purpose by well, chance okay. or. Two things. So it's not a casserole because as a child, she couldn't pr- pronounce the word. <laughs> God, I can't believe I'm nerding out like this. Casa <laughs> Ido, <laughs> which like is a whole other thing I made up, right, to sound like casserole, but it's not a casserole <laughs> technically. Um, there, there is a, there's a, there's a. I think there's a bit of description in the in the first paragraph about like like these chewy nuggets of meat, and that is the the space whale. Well, um, yeah, so that's how I made up. Yeah, so studied, I, studied, I had to go back. Studied cubes of meat is what it is. Yeah. yeah. No, I love, I love it. it. I and <laughs> I, I gotta say, like, I spent some time in Louisiana too. Like, I'm really from the West Coast, Washington, Utah. Frog legs is not mundane here, mm-hmm. and so that it, again, very interesting choice of a dish, and I love it. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, I'm you know, though. being from Louisiana, I ain't never really eat frog legs like that. But I knew no. when you described it, I was like, "Oh yeah, this is definitely Louisiana right here." <laughs> yeah, 
I mean, I've I've eaten a couple of fried ones, but they've never been like my thing of choice when I would go back home. If I was going to eat a, a a different kind of meat, usually it was um rabbit actually, like rabbit sausage. Rabbit so good. Especially when it's spiced right, it's really good. Also, I eat just about everything. So like like awful like organ meats, I'll try just about everything once. Then I'll decide on once. Once. I'll say I'll try it once. Except for chitlins. Yeah, no, I'm not doing chitlins. But the only reason I'm not doing chitlins is because I think our generation of black folks have been traumatized by the smell of chitlins being Mm -hmm. cooked in mm, and putting it on my plate. I was like, I don't want that by my plate. It's it's my my stuff. You're gonna make me sick on the podcast. Don't do it. Traumatic memories coming up right now. Just, uh, <laughs> Why does our house smell like this? <laughs> uh, like literally, it's like death. Like y'all cooking death in that pot right now. Like there's nothing I want to eat that you're about to. I don't want to eat anything that's going to di- start digesting me on the way down. Right? Ugh. No. Okay. All right. Black childhood yeah, trauma. Yeah. <laughs> we can walk away from the. See, my dad yeah. and my my and his siblings would always talk about you know chitlins and stuff, but they would make okra for um, Thanksgiving and stuff. And like, I just I just can't do it. I can't do it the way they do it. It's it's I can eat it. I, I'm, it's maybe it's partially the smell or something's okra? going on. When I had good yeah, okra and the, bad okra the, too. The way they the way they do it is just it's. I don't even think it's food by the time it's done. I don't know. Now, I will only eat okra from certain people, though. It's just like potato salad. Like, you gotta ask who made the okra. It's like, if, like, because I got some aunties that don't know what they doing, and it would be like, like, I'm not eating slime. Like, I didn't come here for that. Well, that's kind of, so my auntie does it well, I know, and I know my uncle has tried, and it does not work. And they have conversations about it, but I was never eating it in the first place. But, yeah, no, my grandma could throw it down, but yeah, I mean, my grandma actually, she could actually throw it down with like, she would put the sausage in it and, okay. you know, have the little neck bones in it and it's just, oh yeah, oh, Lord have okra mercy. Anyway, uh-huh. <laughs> like, I'll eat the okra, just give me the, put it on my plate, it's fine. The, the chitlins, that, 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 that's it. Yeah, no, I'm fighting you about chitlins. Don't put that in front of me. No, I'm not I eating that. It. Don't Too even invite me over if you're cooking it. Yeah, no, if you're even cooking it, don't ask me to come over because I'm not because I'm not gonna be able to keep my face together with that smell. Just let me not come. Just tell, just tell me, Brent, don't worry about it this year. Like you you can come pick up a plate and go. Cause I'm not staying there. All right. Mm-hmm. I gotta know. When we all getting together to share a meal, because this is great. I know Andre over here got us something about food and making people hungry. So right. um, that's my job. <laughs> with it. All right. I'm, I'm gonna redirect send it back to will yeah L- last few questions and then uh we can go back talking about food if we need to but uh will what, what else you got for our guest here sure i have some more questions about the story just there's the ending i really want to talk about um yeah i'm gonna read us i'm gonna read a section from it it says attention gained the woman angles her face towards her daughter Yaya, hush, the woman says, drawling. My heart swells in my chest. If you ate as much as you asked questions, we might be on our way home. The next, then, um, a little ways down, 
I inhale to still my heart. Here I come, girl, I say. I smile back at the woman before pulling my hood onto my head. I hold her eyes for a moment and a solitary tear falls down my cheek. Here I come. Um, can you talk about writing the powerful ending? Because it seems really poignant and touching and. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's that, so (laughs) we believe in visitations, right? So like when people die in our family, uh, someone's going to have a dream about them. Um, and I had dreams for quite a while. And so it was very, my mother's death was very painful for my mom. So like wanting her to be around was, was selfish and, and, uh, and that's how like I process it. But the ability to just like be in a space with her, like in my dreams was really, um, it was really cathartic when I was younger, like when I used to have those dreams. Um, and so I wanted, so like I said, I had to come up with this part of it and then went back and like wrote in and toward the beginning, it was the last meal I have with my mom. And then a little bit about Miss Birdie, like regaining the memory of her. And in this moment, I wanted to, to, you know, she's seen Miss Birdie. She's seen the male. She's seen Yuri. Um, Citrine's like hair went from like asymmetrical bob to a bun and back again. Like all these strange things happened. She had this dish that she wanted. She she got what she needed from what she wanted from this excursion in a lot of ways. Um, and so what I decided there was that she there was something that she needed that she didn't know she needed. Um, and it was to see her mother one last time and to see herself with her mother one last time. And so she got a chance as an adult, because as adults, we don't get to see the parents we grew up with, right? Like by the time we're adults, our parents look very different than they did when we were children. She got a chance to like, she walked into this time machine and was able to actually like, not have like a a definitive interaction with her mother, but like one where she looked at her mom and her mom looked at her and they were able to acknowledge who each other were. And, uh, and move on, not move on, but just like they shared a moment that uh, wasn't, wouldn't have been possible otherwise. Um, and so I wanted to, so I knew that moment had to be special. Um, but I also knew that moment had to be small. It couldn't be um, a hug tackle and it couldn't be um, a cry fest. It couldn't be, you know, it had to be an acknowledgement of like the woman that she was and the woman that the mother was and the mother, the woman that Yanis is now. Um, and, and, and just to push forward. Um, I don't think I'm done telling Yanis stories. Um, but I just thought that was a good place to, to touch on what she needed. And like, cause look, the search for Nabago is great. Um, and she gets it and she has this very weird experience and like, that's all really good. But like the search isn't really for Nabobgo. It's about like connecting with her mom again. And she was going to connect with her mom through food. And she spent her life connecting to food in order to find the food that helped her connect to her mom. And so she, that launched her career. And then she gets in this space where she had the dish for the first time and she has the dish again. 
it's a way of connecting with her mom. What she doesn't expect is to actually connect with her mom. <laughs> what she doesn't expect is to have an, a, an actual experience with her mother. And she does, and that ends up kind of being sweeter than 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 the, the actual dish. Do you feel that, you know, writing this piece was cathartic for you or healing um, because of losing your own mother at such a young age? No, uh, writing it was hell. Um, reading it, though, um, one of the best things about being a writer is being able to read something back later on and just like, oh, shit, that's what I did. Actually, I think Brent talked about that when he was talking about Faithful Delirium. Um, like, going it back and being able to read something be like, what the hell was I on? Or, damn, I, I like, this hit me in my feels, and I, I knew what was coming. Um, but I think that's, for me, that's one of the, the best things about writing. Like, I put things away for a month or two, and then I come back to them to actually see if I like anything about them. Um, and, and then, you know, the things... I, I can I can say things like, well, what, what was that thing? Where the hell did that come from? That's so. I was reading a piece um, that I'm working on yesterday, and I was like, I stopped and laughed, and I was just like, where the hell did that come? Who whose imagination is this? Um, but yeah, reading it again, reading it consistently, like makes me feel. It hits me in a lot of places. It hits me in a lot of places as an adult who works in food, uh, as an adult who lost his parent, and you know, looking for that connection um, in different places. Yeah, community is really important to me in a lot of ways. We'll talk about that later. Well, that's a perfect segue um, into actually me asking you about Voodoo Knots. If I said it right, I hope I did. Um, Can you talk about it? Can you tell our listeners like what it's about? What, you know, what your mission is? Yeah. So Voodoo Nuts is an Afrofuturist education and empowerment organization. We're super grassroots. Um, you know, we ran a, last year we were during the pandemic, we ran a free Afrofuturist black, or free Afrofuturist writing workshop for black speculative writers um, off of two Zoom accounts and, <laughs> and just kind of made it happen, which was really great. We asked people to donate some of their expertise. Um, one of them was like Nana Kwame Adjebrenya, and he read um, one of the pieces from his collection, Friday Black, and then, like, just talked to us for a little bit. Uh, we also had Ebony Dunbar, who is who was a fellow that year, also speak to us about, like, her experience as a managing editor. More than anything, what we want to do is bring people together, give them new tools to write, and uh, bring in guests who put a fire under their asses and and, and express to them, you know, we need your work. Um, the world needs your work. Other black writers need your work. Uh, non-black writers need your work. We just you have to work. You have to do the thing. And like here, these workshops, we're going to give you skills. We're going to. So we had this year. We had Tim Fielder in who wrote Infinitum, which is a beautiful book. It is a ridiculously beautiful book of like artwork and and and, and prose and it's gorgeous and he's officially become the official you know uncle of the voodoo knots and uncle tim is like finish your work <laughs> whatever else you do just finish your work but we also had uh nia davenport on and jamar perry uh cl clark um 
uh, how am I forgetting people? Oh, and Jerry from Onyx Pages, uh, who is a, a, a lit influencer uh, over on YouTube. Um, I'm forgetting. Oh, Kayla Leitner, who is a agent over at the Aisha Pande Literary. Like we essentially just bring people on to talk about their experiences as black people in publishing or black people writing or black people as agents, black people making things, but also just like show people that it's possible and that we just need their work. Mm-hmm. So we just had our, our second, um, we just had our second uh, workshop. Um, we're in talks about our second panel shop, which is a, thing we do in conjunction with Clarion West, where we teach, you know, a huge block of classes in November. Um, that's not announced yet, but it'll be up soon. Um, I guess now's a good time to do this. Uh, Voodoo Knots is also wrapping up the editing of its first anthology uh, from uh, a couple of solicited authors, as well as uh, our fellows from the first year. So the Kickstarter should be starting in the next month or so. Yeah, super proud of that one. That's awesome. So you'll have to, once the Kickstarter starts, let us know so we can talk about it on the podcast and we can get everyone involved. 100%. I should also note that Voodoo Nuts, the, the, the four people, the Coco, the co-founders and the Coco founders, uh, the co-founders are Yvette, Lisa, and Delovu from um, Zimbabwe and uh, Shinka and Jerry Kagunda who, from Kenya, who you guys have had on Just Keep Writing While Black. As well yeah. as uh, the, the the secondary founders are me and uh, Hugh H D Hunter, uh, who has a book coming out next year. We're real proud of him too. Oh, it's awesome. We will definitely have links to obviously your story, but also to Voodoo Knots in here. But definitely let us know about the Kickstarter because we can throw it in our Discord and stuff like that, and and talk about it on the show. So um, anything else we should put uh, into the show notes or something we should something you have coming up. That you can talk yeah. about? Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure when this is going to happen. The story's been accepted. They've started typesetting. But there's a anthology called Queer Blades. Um, and it is... Uh, uh, the prompt is Epic Fantasy Meets Queer Romance. Uh, and I wrote a story um, that like essentially grew out of me trying to figure out how I will make, you know, gay hookup app grinder into something fantasy and so i fell down that rabbit hole wrote this story ended up not needing the 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 grinder app uh and the story is i really like it it's a lot of fun it's very it's very sexy um yeah that sounds awesome uh and it's gonna be in the queer blades anthology which i think will be out before the end of the year cool oh don't forget your own oh, speculative city Guess edited. Ah, thank you. <laughs> One job. <laughs> One job. It's okay. That's why. That's why you have friends like me to remind you. <laughs> thank you. Um, so, speculative. So, like I was saying, Open Twenty Seven Hours did a little bit of a um, a rejection tour before it found its home in Speculative City, um, and I had a really good time working with the editor in chief and the guest editor uh, Stephanie Copley, uh, and the editor in chief. Her name is Vera Milu. Um, and so Vera and I have decided to get together to do a special double issue of Speculative City, uh, that instead of having a theme like it normally does, we're going to seek out, uh, BIPOC, uh, LGBTQIA authors to do, um, a story. And the due date is November 15th, which is 
four days before my 40th birthday. So feel free, you know, oh, any, snap. you know, queer speculative people wanting to put things, queer people of color who write speculative, who want to, you know, give me a birthday present four yeah. days early. I, I see you and I appreciate it. Um, speculative city um, is just a, the title is the theme, like make it speculative, make it in a city and, or make it about a city or, make it from the point of view of the city. All these things are re- relevant on all of the work. Um, it's a semi-pro market, and I'm super excited about it because I love Mira, obviously, because, you know, who's like, hey, I have a story in here. Let me guess, edit your, whatchamacallit. She was like, yeah, let's do it. All right, let's go. So that's that's November 15th is the due date, um, and I want to make sure you guys have this mission. Actually, it's on the website for Speculative City, too, so. Awesome. Yeah, I'll, I'll have the links to Speculative City, Voodoo Nuts, and everything else you mentioned in the show notes. So, can't wait to see all the stuff, all the things. Uh, Will, question, are you going to no. ask that? Oh, no, please, go ahead. Wait, are we done with the... the, the I don't want to... I, I want it on well, the on the record, but I don't want to do it before Will's done with the questions. He's going to ask one, has one more. He has one more question. We always have one more question. Uh, I just the last question. It's what we ask at the end of all of our interviews. Um, what just keeps you writing? Great writing, reading good things, and 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 wanting to contribute to the conversation. Um, seeing things that are done and being like, "Shit, that's so cool!" Like, I don't have a I don't have a, a jealousy response, but I do have like an envy response. It's like, "Damn, I wish I wrote that!" Like, <laughs> "Oh, I can't believe you did that." how did you find the permission to do that? That's so cool. And that's kind of like, and, and when you're in community with a bunch of like people who are creating really great stuff, you get a lot of that inspiration coming around. Um, I get a lot of that inspiration coming around. So definitely like taking in good things makes me want to make good things. So I, I am in the discord. (laughs) I do listen to this podcast. Oh, we know. <laughs> uh, my my, if uh, I know that Nick said that my my superpower is um, is pacing, but personally, I think my superpower is interiority, um, like moving into a space as a character and like what do you see, how do they feel, like talking about it and not making it seem navel gazy. Um, what are your fiction writing superpowers? Just name one. You can't say world building. You have to choose. I know I'm not going to. Okay. I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I'm going to choose another because I feel like I always say that. So I wish I'd be different. I feel like when our guests ask us questions, I should just stop the podcast, right? I'm just right. <laughs> okay. And this is uh, sort of just keep right. Right. Good. Um, who should go first? I feel like I shouldn't go first. I feel like you're ready, so you should give them time to think. Mm, I, I'm yeah. not actually, though. I'm like running through options in my well, not options, but I, I'm trying to. I don't know. Um, he did just say options, so I just want. I feel like, well, okay, this is this is. I guess um, bringing things full circle. I guess I don't know. I, I'm trying to think of the right craft word for that, but like. The that I I I think I'm really good about making sure nothing's wasted. Economy, yeah, that's there we go. I'll say economy. I think I'm good with that. I can see it. Nick, you're up. Yeah. Dang, I was about to say it, Marshall. 
What's yours? Um, man, I'm like, I feel like I'm still such a baby rider that I don't have like a full superpower yet that I'm like aware of. Um, I'm gonna go. Ooh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm, uh, I'm my superpower right now, which is just a power at this point. But I'm good at drawing people in and drawing down and deeper on emotions. Um, yeah, and that's based on my my recent writing. Uh, a short story. Brent, you've read it, so like. Yeah, yeah, that, that's why I agree. I read this, the most recent thing. Yeah. yeah, I agree with you. I, I have a hard time actually identifying what I'm good at, so I'm, I'm gonna lean on Brent and Will and Marshall on this one too. Well, see, this is the thing for me. I'm so it's so easy for me to like bang out what other people are good at, like instantly. I could be I could go through all of y'all and give something each of you are yeah. good at really rapid fire. But for myself, I'm always like, uh, I don't know. Well, and Brent, you gave me a nice compliment several episodes ago, and I was I've been trying to remember that compliment this whole time so that I could actually not say something lame for this answer because our guest is listening, um, but. I cannot remember what you said. It had something to do with um so it was it, it was from the one story that I read about the soldiers, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I said you're really good at um well I said a couple of things actually. Yeah, I know. But uh I'm trying I, to think of one of them. So so because I feel like you were good with your transition. Scene transitions you were really good at. Yeah, and the thing um, the thing with that story, it was more about trying to write about um <sighs> Something about belonging, but I, that that's not the right word. Um, a recent comment I got uh, was people liked some of my, and not only transitions, but some of my, um, you know, images before moving to another scene. Um, that, that's what it was. Yeah. Yes. The way you close a scene. You close yeah. a scene in such a way that, like, I want to keep reading. Yeah. And not everybody's good at doing that. Yeah. So I'll, 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 I'll pat myself on the back for that one. And this has been Just Keep Writing, a podcast for writers, by writers, to keep you writing. You can find us at justkeepwriting.org. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Feel free to reach out to any of us on our social medias, and please jump in our Just Keep Writing Discord channel. Links to all of that is in the show notes. Lastly, please support our show by going to patreon.com slash justkeepwriting. We offer daily writing prompts, early access to podcast episodes, and much more. Thanks for listening, and just keep writing.